I love that. That's good stuff. Thanks for singing that. Thank you for sharing the communion. That was very powerful as well. I think it ties into the lesson this morning. And to share some good news with you, Alex and Jacqueline Castillo were having a bit of uh, trouble with their visa, but everything is good. Everything is good. And where are they? It's good. Is that that's correct, bro? That's correct. So that's awesome, bro. Prayers are answered, and and you're staying in New Zealand, correct? Fantastic, bro. And I'm sure that I'm sure that builds your faith, and it builds our faith because many people were praying for that. So praise God. Also, many of you might remember Susie, but she's here, and now she's married to Steve, and uh, so he was baptized, and they got married on the same day. That's correct, right? In in the last year. So if you guys could just stand up along with with your daughters here as well. So uh, they're visiting from our sister church. So good to have you here. Steve is Kiwi. Isn't that correct, mate? You guys see, I'm getting it, right? I'm getting it. So if you have a Bible, we're in 2 Corinthians this morning. We have finished 1 Corinthians. And as a spoiler, there is a second book, and we're, we're going to start diving into that. Hopefully you learned a lot from the book of 1 Corinthians, and we'll learn equally, if not more, from 2 Corinthians. And so this morning, I'd like to talk a little bit about comfort and suffering, because those, those are good, two good topics that, that go together. I don't know what you think comfort means, or what it means to you personally. Some people like comfort food, right? Like, what's your favorite comfort food? Donuts. Krispy Kreme donuts. American Krispy Kreme donuts. And so maybe, maybe it's a recliner chair, a nice leather recliner that has, that has hot chips in it. Okay, maybe that's your version of comfort, or maybe if, if you're a man, you just want a man cave. Yes, come on, bro. And and but I don't know. Maybe if you live in a brother's flat, you want your own room. And so like, I want my own room. I don't know what it is, but the, the Bible has a different version of comfort, and we'll learn about that this morning from Second Corinthians one. So let, let's all pray together. And then start reading in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. Father, we're grateful to come before you and take communion. And really to fix our eyes, our minds, our hearts, our very souls on Jesus. And to be able to follow him. It's, it's, it's an extremely difficult task. We pray as we read these words that the truth that you have set before us really impacts our thoughts and behavior. And then we can give it to this lost world. Pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to read a few verses and talk about a few things from this passage. Starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Not some, not a few, but all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any 
comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. You think you've had a bad day. And in verse 9, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. And we'll stop there and look at a few things this morning. So this just to give us a bit of understanding what's going on here in first Corinthians between first and second Corinthians, it's helpful to understand the relationship of Paul and the church in Corinth, because then it makes this scripture come alive even more. So previously, you know, when you watch those television episodes previously in first Corinthians, Paul had written one letter and he had actually written two letters. First Corinthians five says he has written another one. So he's, but that one's lost. So he writes, he writes this letter to the church in Corinth. That's actual footage of Paul when he wrote the letter to the church in Corinth. All right. So he writes that letter and that's the letter that we have in first Corinthians. And what he does in that letter, if you remember, is he challenges the church on a variety of issues, but then he also challenges very specific people to repent and on their behavior. So he, the letter to the church is a bit confrontational. They say they're living Christian life, but their lifestyle doesn't reflect. So Paul's letter challenges that. And good old Timothy, that's the actual photo of Timothy, Paul's protege. He is the one that brings the letter from Paul to the church in Corinth. And so Paul writes the letter, gives it to Timothy. Timothy takes it to the church in Corinth. And when he gets there, they don't receive the letter too kindly. So this is the fist of rebellion. Here comes Timothy with this letter to the church that basically says, you guys better get your act together. And they don't take it too kindly. They resist. They don't go down without a fight. They start splitting those factions and they say, well, Paul's motives aren't that pure. And, and Paul, blah, blah, blah. We're not going to go down without a fight. What is Paul writing this strong letter? But when we see him, he's so weak. So that's how this relationship starts to develop. So as a result, since, since things aren't going too well, Paul gets an ambulance and goes to Corinth and says, man, this, this is not going well. We need to deal with these situations. But even when he arrives, it just gets worse. They start saying, yeah, Paul, we don't think you're that 
much of an apostle. You think too highly of yourself. You're always in danger. You're always suffering. Blah, blah, blah. And so as a result, what he does is he says, okay, fine. And he leaves. And he retreats. Because you you can imagine this scenario with, with one individual person. If you're trying to develop a relationship and it doesn't go well and, and then there's friction and tensions. Okay, you part for a while and then you try to communicate from a distance. That's what Paul's doing with this church in Corinth. So he goes back and he writes another letter. And we've lost this letter as well, but it talks about how he tried to send someone else there to help them sort out some things in their church. And it's starting to get a little bit better. And, but still, there's this, there's this friction with Paul and the church in Corinth. So now we get Titus. That's the actual footage of Titus. He looks a lot like Timothy, but it's actually not. And he, he brings this other letter to the church in Corinth. And this time, things go better. He says, okay, Paul talked about this in the last letter. Let's make sure we shape up these issues. Let's renew your concern for Paul. Let's make sure your relationship's all good. And, then, and at this time, the church... And, his, and their relationship with Paul starts to get better. They start to obey. So Paul, Paul sees Titus in Macedonia. They give each other the man hug. But when you do that, make sure you leave some room for Jesus. Because sometimes you get a bit too close. But, but Paul and Titus see each other. And Titus says, hey Paul, great news. Things are getting better in Corinth. Plus, they're starting to, to think more highly of you. They're, they're starting to desire to repair your relationship. All right? So that Paul's fired up. And in all of that context, so from beginning of 1 Corinthians until Paul unites with Titus in this good news, now Paul sits down and writes 2 Corinthians. And so here is the letter after all of this stuff. And he's still, you know, keep in mind, you're trying to repair a broken relationship with a person that's gone on for quite some time. You've challenged them. They didn't go well. You've tried to give some distance and it didn't go well. Now, slowly, it's starting to come back together. And now Paul writes this letter. And that's what we have with 2 Corinthians. He's trying to explain, no, I really do love you. Don't question my motives. I really am suffering for the gospel. I really do want your best in mind. That's everything we have in 2 Corinthians. Amen. So with that, we're going to look at three things that are really highlighted in the first chapter. Suffering. Comfort and the cycle of comfort. And just as a bit of a heads up, the first point will be a bit more challenging if you're a disciple. So just wanted to let you know that ahead of time. And then points two and three aren't as challenging and firm. All right. So when you think of the term suffering, which is mentioned in this, it's not the suffering of an average ordinary individual. Right. Because we all have experienced some trouble with money, probably some money issues. If you haven't, then good on you. But we've probably also experienced trouble with relationships, right? If you've ever had a friend, then you've had trouble with relationships. If you've ever had a girlfriend, if you've ever had a spouse, then you've experienced all this trouble. And illnesses. Some of us had illnesses. Plus, like, disasters just seem to randomly strike different people. It doesn't matter if you're Christian or non-Christian. Right? That's just kind of average to humanity. So it's not like... When you're broke, you can say, oh man, I'm suffering for Jesus. Because that happens to flat out everybody, right? It's not like if you're having girl problems or boy problems, you can say, I'm just suffering for Jesus. Because that flat out happens to everybody, right? Or if there's a thunderstorm and your power gets cut, it's not like you can say, I'm suffering for Jesus. That, that stuff happens to everybody, 
Alright, that's not what this passage is talking about. Instead, what this passage is talking about, in verse 5, is the suffering that's intimately connected to Jesus. This is going to be a strong idea, because in verse 5, Paul says, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ... Not the sufferings that all humanity experiences, but because you follow Jesus, because he's your Lord, there is inevitable suffering coming our way. In fact, in Acts, when Paul converts, that's the very thing Jesus says to Paul. I will show him, talking to Ananias, go and talk to Paul. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That's a great starting comment for somebody following Jesus, right? It's also what Jesus tells his disciples. In this world, you will experience much trouble. It's the same word, same word there. So he's letting, him, he's letting us know up front, if you follow Jesus, it's inevitable we'll experience some suffering. And so Paul wants to let the church know, like, when I suffer, I want to let you in on what's going on in my life. It's not because I'm out there doing crazy things. It's because... That's what happens when you're connected to Jesus. And he's trying to inform them so they have a better understanding of what's going on. So the word he uses in Greek for trouble is thalipsis. Now that's an important word because it has two components. One is it's internal. Like you're anxious and you're stressed and you're worried. That's all internal. Right? But there's also external pressure. Paul gets shipwrecked. There are people trying to kill him. That's all external. So Thalipsis is this extreme pressure that's being pressed on you. It's the same concept when they use to press grapes. They put it on a stone. They roll a big stone over it and press the grape and out comes the wine. So here's this big pressure. And Paul says, man, I was experiencing pressure internally and externally. I was so pressed There were people trying to kill me. The church thought I didn't have its best interest in mind. I was stressed out. I was pressured. I was distressed. And in fact, he later goes on to say, me and my companions were so distressed, we felt a death sentence hanging over our heads. Now this stuff is intense. It's it's almost like you get the feeling like wherever he goes in ministry, it's like we might not make it out of here. This is so much pressure. And in some cases, Paul literally is on the brink of death. You know, one time he gets stoned, left for dead. They thought he was dead. In Ephesus, the whole city riots. It's not safe for him to even be in the city. That's just crazy. At other times, the church doesn't really like him. And if you've been in leadership, welcome to leadership. That's what Paul, that's what's going on in Paul's life. And, and so he's like, ah, if I, I can't go in this city in Ephesus because they're trying to kill me. And I can't go back to Corinth because they don't really like me right now. There's so much pressure, so much stress, so much anxiety. And sure, Paul probably experienced money problems like we all do, or health problems, or relationship problems. But the main source of his suffering was because he followed Jesus. That's that's crazy to think about. And the reason why he lets the church know that is the church in Corinth, as they look at Paul, they think, man, that guy's always messed up. 
Surely he can't be an apostle. Because an apostle would be triumphing. He'd be victorious. And Paul says, look, we share in the sufferings of Christ. If you claim to follow Jesus, it's inevitable. And Christianity, if, if you want to become a Christian, you're not immune to suffering. But Christianity uses suffering to produce something more fruitful. And that's the whole point that Paul's helping them see. And, and when you prune, this is a vineyard in the pruning season. That doesn't look very appealing. Looks a bit dry, looks a bit discouraging. But that's what happens when you get the shears, you clip the trees, you prune it all back, you prune it all down. And that's not what you want to see when you go to a vineyard for some wine. Unless it's early on in the process. But all of that results in something very fruitful. And so suffering has a similar component where it squeezes us, it pressures us, it clips us back, it prunes us so that we can bear more fruit. And eventually that's what those pruned trees turn into. Man, that looks, that's the kind of vineyard I want to go to. And that's the kind of vineyard you want to, not that we're always going to vineyards, but in the event that you would, that's what you want to see. You don't want to see one that's pruned back. And, and so Paul, he's letting, he's letting the church in Corinth know when you suffer, it's because you're connected to Jesus and it bears fruit. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. And I want to let you in on what's going on in my life. I don't want you to think just because I'm suffering and I'm stressed and I'm distressed and there's so much pressure that I'm not actually following Christ. That's what happens when you follow Christ. And Paul is saying when that happens to me, it actually increases my faith instead of weakens it. Because we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. And so this is where it becomes challenging in everyday life. If you're a disciple of Jesus... It's helpful to evaluate your life. Is there suffering involved? And I'm not talking about to the level of Paul where you just feel like, I just can't make it. But I'm talking about if, if you're like, for instance, if you're a teenager and you're in high school, do you feel any isolation from your peers because you're following Jesus? Do you feel any kickback? Because when the crowd says do this, you say, I, I'm actually going to do what the scriptures say. I have conviction about following Jesus. Do you feel the kind of pressure? Do you feel the kind of... That, that, that's the kind of suffering attached to following Jesus. Is that you're doing something that's meaningful. You're doing something based on conviction. And as a result, it starts to create isolation. If you're a campus or a single and, and you make stands to be pure in an overly sexualized world... You're going to get some kickback. And they're going to think all kinds of things about you. But do you, do you experience that? Do you experience the kickback of saying, this is what I'm going to do on a Friday night. I'm going to go and talk about Jesus. Which to the world sounds ridiculous. You're going to talk about Jesus. But that, that's the kind of thing that's attached to us following Jesus. As a parent, trying to train your kids and trying to discipline them in a godly way, other parents may think that's ridiculous. If you've ever led in any capacity, there's, you, it's sometimes, now this isn't always what you feel, by the way. Okay, that just want to clarify that. It's not like following Jesus is a lifetime of daily suffering. Get ready for that. But there should be, at some point, some suffering attached to it. Right? If you've ever led in any capacity, there should be some, some kind of anxiety or stress or something like helping other people mature in the faith. That's a hard thing. And if you don't feel that, then you haven't tried to help somebody mature or grow in their faith. 
Do you feel the concern of, of wanting the best for people, but then they question your motives? Man, th- th- that's the kind of suffering Paul's talking about attached to following Jesus. But as a disciple in general, do you feel the weight and the burden of trying to reconcile a lost world? Because there's something attached to that. Have you felt the tension when you're trying to help somebody understand the Bible and they're not really getting it? And you can feel it. That's what Paul is talking about. Following Jesus is inevitably connected. It's unavoidable. And if it's absent in your life, it's time to evaluate your discipleship. And say, why? Am I really living the cutting edge life that Jesus called me to? It's not because we enjoy pain or look for pain or trying to create stir. But this verse says we abundantly share in the sufferings of Christ. And when we do, we're pruned back, we're pressed together, and it bears more fruit. So this is a call. This challenged me to really, like, man, is, am I really living a cutting-edge discipleship lifestyle? Are you? Are we? If there's no attachment to this suffering. Well, let's change. And if not, let's make sure we abundantly share in the sufferings of Christ. Amen? Amen. Point number two is more about comfort. So now that we've got the suffering out of the way, we can get more comfortable with our comfort food. If you read this verse, you know, verses starting in verse 3, it appears several times, right? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we abundantly share in the sufferings, our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed for your comfort, if we are comforted, it's like you can't, you can't miss that, right? You just can't. Um, verse 7, our hope is firm because we know that you share yourself in our comfort. Over and over, Paul presses this issue of comfort. And in, in the Greek, it's two words. It's a word group. And it's the same word they'll use for the Holy Spirit. The advocate in John 16. Parakalesis and parakaleo. It means, it doesn't mean it's going to, it's like a tranquilizer dart that just makes you feel, oh, I'm so at ease now. That word group is it gives you strength. And it gives you stamina. And it gives your nerves some steel. So you can withstand the suffering. It's not the kind of comfort where you get in a recliner, eat some chips, and kick your legs up. Now I'm comfortable in Christ. No, it's, it's the kind of comfort that comes from the Spirit when you're in the moment of your greatest need. And it gives you strength. So that you can bear up under the suffering. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul uses those words 29 times. Those words appear in the New Testament 60 times. So he's making a point here about the comfort, the strength available to you from God. That's awesome. And so Paul is saying that when when you're in these moments and you're connected to Jesus and you're suffering, there's this abundance of comfort that starts to kick in, starts to give you strength, makes your knees strong, makes your spine stand up, and you can undergo the suffering. And it's all at at the result of God comforting us, not us relying on self. Verse 3 is awesome because it says... Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort. And that word is there in the original language too. All. Every bit of comfort 
The source is God. The father of all comfort. And then the same thing. Who comforts us in all. Same thing. In the original language. All. Every trouble you can imagine. So yes. Does it apply to the sufferings you experience by following Jesus? Yes. But even outside of that. God is the source of any and every comfort. You cannot find it outside of God. That's long term sustainable. It'll last for a little bit. But soon it will fade away. And so Paul, what, he, what he's doing to this church is he's helping them see. He's like, look, look at my life. When I'm suffering, that's when this power kicks in. It's that we're describing in the communion. It's the exact same concept. When we're at the moment of our most brokenness, that's when this power starts to surge. But you don't feel that unless you're stripped of all your self-confidence. Unless you're stripped of all your false security, unless you learn humility and say, man, I'm at my limit. I can't bear anymore. That's when that power kicks in and you can stand up under all of that. That comes from God. He is the source of all comfort. And and Paul says in verse 9 that this this happened. All of this stuff happened. I want you to know, church, what happened to me. We were were pressured internally. There was external pressure. But all of it happened in verse 9 so that we would rely on God, not ourselves, who raises the dead. The church in Corinth was confused. They looked at Paul and said, what a miserable guy. Paul says, no, this is the picture of discipleship. I'm suffering, but look at the power that's not mine. Look at the power that comes from God. And now I'm sharing it with you. You're confused. You think there's none of that attached to discipleship. It's all about being projected and catapulted by the power of God. The thing he wanted the church to understand is God raises the dead. Not those who exalt themselves. And that's what they were doing. Exalting themselves. God's power is made perfect in weakness. Not strength. And so anytime Paul's telling the church, hey, I was, I was crushed and pressed and distressed and anxious, but there was an abundance of comfort. It's like a formula. Whatever suffering you throw at him, more comfort's available. There's no limit to it. It's an abundance. There's a surplus. It'll never stop. But when he reaches his limits, when he feels this death sentence, he knows, I can't do this on my own. It's got to come from God. And so that's the other part of this suffering. When you do live a radical lifestyle for Jesus, and you feel the weight internally and externally, that's the moment when the power starts kicking in. That's the moment you start getting comfort that strengthens your spine and gives you focus and helps you stand up under all of this. It kicks in at the weakest moment. That's true in many areas of life. Life insurance policies are not for people who have a cough. No one would try to cash it in. You know what? I'm having a little bit of a cold here. Can I cash in my life insurance policy? So I can cover my salary and my mortgage. Say, yeah, you haven't reached your limit. That's a cough. Life insurance is for more extreme things. Right? In discipleship, we want God's power. Oh, we want to... But we're not really living to the edge of our discipleship. We're trying to cash in this policy of power and comfort without living it out. And that's, that's the point here. It's like, look, I'm trying to show you, church, how to really experience the power of God. Live a radical lifestyle, experience the suffering, and watch yourself get catapulted into extreme comfort. Man, praise God for that. 
If you're a Christian, this is a testimony to the power of God. If you're not, if you're feeling like overwhelmed and stressed, there's a lot of self-reliance. But if you're overwhelmed and stressed out about whatever it is and, and, and you're living this radical lifestyle, the comfort is coming. The comfort is coming because that's what this passage talks about. For the non-Christian, you've got to know that whatever source you're seeking for comfort, it's short-term and temporary. It will not last. This passage tells us that God is the God of all comfort for all of our troubles. And there's a surplus. It'll never run out. It'll never be limited. It's abundant in its nature. Let's all be comforted with the comfort that comes from Christ. And lastly, the cycle of comfort. It's the cycle of comfort. That's what verse 4 to 7 is all about, isn't it? Look how this reads in verse 4. God comforted us. For what purpose? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. If we're distressed, it's not just to be stressed out. It's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces a new patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And so this, there's a purpose to it. It's not just to suffer and be comforted and, and kind of be in your own world. It begins, you experience it. You know the hardships, the trials, the pain, the stress, anxiety. You experience the power of God. And then when you see someone else, it overflows to them. The source is God. He uses us. And then it cycles on to someone else. When Paul suffered, it didn't cause him to doubt, but it confirmed, man, my faith is strong and solid, and now I'll use it to help someone else. And so this is helpful, because it's not, it's not like Christians are just detached people who are immune to pain. They experience it, they, and they are comforted by it, and then they pass it on. And then they help someone else. It's not like we're aloof, but we're in tune. And we can help others through this cycle of comfort. We see this in the bigger picture throughout Corinthians. I don't know why that's crooked, but it's just part of suffering, you know? Second, Second Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says this about Titus. He says, the church comforted Titus. So Titus goes to Corinth, and by this time, their attitudes are better, and their behavior is getting better. So when Titus arrives, he's actually strengthened He's encouraged. You felt that by fellowship before. That's what Titus feels when he goes to Corinth. So he brings this news and meets Paul in Macedonia. This is 2 Corinthians 7, verse 6. And then Titus comes to meet Paul in Macedonia, and he gives Paul strength. Because Paul's stressed out and anxious and worried about the church in Corinth. Titus comes and says, i got good news to share. Let's, let's talk about the church. It's changing. It's fired up. It wants to meet you. Blah, blah, blah. And, and Paul gets strengthened. And Paul gets encouraged. And then what does he do? He writes a letter to the church in Corinth to help them get strengthened and encouraged. It's a cycle. It keeps going over and over and over. It's not meant to stop with you or me or us. It's meant to keep flowing. Because God is the source. He gives it to Jesus. Jesus gives it to us. We give it to somebody else. And then it goes on and on and on and on. That's the cycle that's being talked about in this book. And we'll see it throughout as, as God encourages and strengthens Paul. And then he encourages the church. And it continues on and on and on. These are like relay stations and broadcast stations. And it's a similar idea, right? 
they get a signal from a source, whether it's radio, whether it's television, whether it's phone, whatever kind of source is being sent. And that job of that station is to absorb that source material and then send it out and kind of expand the coverage. If it's a television and the, the, the range only meets to there, then they'll widen the viewing range. If it's a radio, if people still listen to the radio, I don't know if they do, but it extends the coverage of the radio or phone or whatever it is. But there's a specific purpose for this relay station. It gets a signal from a source and it sends it somewhere else. That's the exact same thing we're supposed to be doing as disciples. We receive the source from the source. We get comfort from God and then we extend the range. We keep it moving. We keep it going. We keep it cycling on and on and on. And so when we experience God's comfort, it's meant for us to keep our eyes open. In the fellowship and as we talk to people and see, man, they're going through some rough times. It's meant for us to say, man, I've I've been through some suffering. But I've also experienced the comfort. Let me strengthen you. And then you see their spine straighten up. And then they see someone else. And they strengthen them. And it goes on and on and on. And so through this letter and through this, through this concept, Paul's letting the church know that, hey, look, what I'm doing is for you. It's to strengthen you. It's to encourage you. It's to help you so that you can help others. We're not comforted just to be comfortable. We're comforted to be comforters to other people. Come on, bro. That's what is happening. And praise God for that. I don't know how many times throughout my Christian life I've had people have to strengthen me and encourage me and comfort me and praise God for that because now I can pass it on to other people. And so can you and so can we. And that's the whole point of this is the cycle of comfort extends the comfort of God. And throughout 2 Corinthians we'll see this this idea really come to life. When When we reach our limits... When we're maxed out, when we're pressed, that's the moment that the power of God starts to kick in. And this is a call for all of us to evaluate our discipleship. Is it, is it really allowing the power of God to be expressed, or is there too much self-reliance? If too much self-reliance, here's the opportunity to change and repent and allow the power of God to come into your life for genuine comfort. And it doesn't stop there. Once you get comforted, you continue the cycle of comfort and you help and encourage others. Amen. To God be the glory.